Let's spar our heads as we pray together today. Father, thank you so much for your spirit that is here right now. Thank you because hope has become enfleshed in history through Jesus Christ. Thank you because we have this hope as well that he is coming again very soon. So thank you, Father. We praise you today. And now, Father, as we dialogue and fellowship in your word, we just ask for your continued blessing, your continued presence. For we do ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. So there's this really great show on YouTube called Brave Wilderness. And the premise of the show is quite simple. There's a host, his name is Coyote Peterson, and this is basically what he does. He indexed in a particular series about 20 of the most poisonous, or about 20 of the insects with uh, stings uh, in the world, right? The most painful stings, that's it, in the world. And so he travels to all these exotic locations, and he purposefully now gets stung by each of these different insects. And we're talking everything from different scorpions, like this scary creature that we have on the screen. Can you imagine one of those getting on your finger? And then I didn't even know this particular insect existed, but he said it was summarily painful. It's called the giant desert centipede. Take a good look at that beast. It's a little bit hard for me to even look at it, I'll be honest with you. Kind of get the heebie-jeebies a little bit. But he said the most painful insect bite in the animal, or in the insect kingdom anyway, goes to no other than one of the smallest ones, actually. It's called the bullet ant. Now, there's a particular reason why they call it a bullet ant, and it's because they say that a bite from the bullet ant doesn't feel like the bite of an insect at all. In fact, it feels as if you are getting shot. It's that painful. And I want to quote him now. He says that when he got bit by one bullet ant, it was just this radiating waves of pain, like getting stabbed with a hot poker. So that's what he does. With a camera crew on hand, of course, so that they could catalog every single excruciating moment of his ordeal. Foolish? Oh, I don't know. Some would say educational. I know I would never do it. Now, I've never gotten diagnosed with this, but I'm about 98, 99% sure that I have arachnophobia. Just ask my wife, Yvette. In fact, if a spider ever happens to appear somehow in our home, I will kind of start screaming and hooping and hollering like a toddler. Because there's one thing I can't do. I can't do the stepping and feeling the crunch of the spider. You know what I'm talking about? I don't. I don't do that at all. I can't, actually. I can't get anywhere close to one. And so I'm screaming and hooping and hollering like a little toddler. Meanwhile, my wife nonchalantly will walk into the room. She'll squash it like the bug that it is. And as she's walking away, say, Rodley, it's dead now. Are you okay? As she drops the mic. I love my wife. 
But Coyote Peterson, as foolish as his endeavor may seem, he actually takes lots of precautions. I mean, he has a medical team there in the ready position. They have anti-venom. They have little kits to pull out the venom. And he's prepared. But if he did not have those things in the ready position, believe you me, things would go badly for him. I think in some ways, though, that Coyote Peterson is a lot like church-going Christians, though. Because I believe that church-going Christians have a fatal flaw or even a poison, as it were, that if left ignored, unabated, unchecked, will inevitably result in a fatal blow to the spiritual life of the Christian. It's true. And you thought that church-going people had nothing to worry about, didn't you? That's what I want to talk to you today, actually. I want to talk to you about two fatal flaws of a church-going Christian. And we're just going to jump right in. We have a lot of material to cover. So the first fatal flaw of a church-going Christian is this. Are you ready? We skip over scriptures that we don't understand. Now, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. You don't have to be ashamed because I've done this dozens and dozens and dozens of times. How many of you when you have been reading the Bible on some particular morning or evening, you have all of a sudden gotten to some scripture that you just don't get. You're looking at it and you're trying to understand it. You're just saying, I'm not getting what that is actually about. And so here's what we do, right? We just mosey on over and we skip that. And yet we tell ourselves, you know, one day I'm going to come back to that one and figure that out. How many have ever done that before? All right. And so, of course, the next year comes around, though, and you get to that same scripture, and all of a sudden you're like, ooh, yeah, that one, right. Um, I'm going to come back to it next year. And then three years, and four years later rolls around, and you still have no idea what an Ebenezer actually is. Right? Have you been there before? Now, some of you are saying, well, okay, come on, Rodley, hold on, hold on a second. What danger is there in just kind of skipping scriptures that we do not understand? I want to suggest to you today that there are actually two specific and very serious dangers to ignoring, to skipping scriptures that we seemingly just do not understand. And here's the first one. It causes us over time to develop a shallow and limited understanding of what God is actually like. Now, let me share with you a biblical principle here from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. So I invite you to turn there with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, as we examine this biblical principle. And notice what the Apostle Paul here says, all right? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap what? Will also reap sparingly. Well, what does that mean? I mean, here the Apostle Paul is giving an agricultural metaphor, of course, and he's saying if you just plop in a few seeds, you're going to get what kind of a harvest? You're going to get a small harvest. If you put a little bit in, you should not be expecting to get a lot out of it, right? This agricultural metaphor. And yet, I mean, just a little bit in, a little bit out, yet so many people wonder why their devotional time is not more fruitful and meaningful. Because here's the truth that so many church folk experience, tell me if this is true or not, that people want to have a full course dining spiritual experience 
on a drive-through timeline and budget. Let's just leave that up there for just a second. Is this true, yes or no? Come on, we want to have that full course meal, spiritual experience. We want to have that hallelujah times where we're feeling the Holy Spirit's power in our devotions. But we say, God, I've got about three minutes. So you just fit it into my little, I'm going to go through the drive through window and I'm going to go in that Taco Bell. All right, give it to me there. Right? So you say, God, I've got about three minutes. Here we go. And God says, if all you want, if all you desire is, is a three minutes worth of an experience, then all I'm allowed to give you is a three minutes worth of an experience. Are you with me? Because you're not hungry for more. You're not thirsty enough for more. I'll give you that full course spiritual experience if you sit down long enough for a full course meal but you don't want it you're not hungry enough see that's the first danger that comes across us when we skip over scriptures that we don't understand all of a sudden we begin to develop a limited and a shallow understanding of what god is actually like because we're just a little bit in a little bit out But there's also a second danger, and it's this. And both of them are connected, by the way. Inevitably, if you put a little bit in, just get a little bit out, you're going to become spiritually weak. And this is the second danger. We become spiritually weak. Turn over in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. And I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul here says. The Apostle Paul, of course, was a church planter. He would go and preach in various locations, and he would gather believers and set elders over those believers in the local church. And then he would continue to travel on and continue planting other churches. And then he would come back around and visit the churches, or he would write to them. So here now is one of the churches is writing back to. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, he says, I gave you milk, not solid food. Why? For you were not yet ready for. Indeed, you are still not ready. Do you notice what he's saying here? He's saying, look, you should have been here by now in your spiritual experience. I needed you. This community needs you to be here right now in your spiritual experience. But all of a sudden, I'm coming to you, and I'm realizing that you're just way down over here in your spiritual experience. I would love to be teaching you these deeper things of God, but no, I'm coming to you, and I'm realizing that you have so been ignoring your own experience with God that I'm having to hand-feed you now with baby food. I would have loved to give you something a little bit deeper, but you just can't handle it. Oh, and just keep reading in chapter 5 of that same book, and all of a sudden we see some of the inevitable results of this kind of living for a church. Because later on, the Apostle Paul begins to say, and this is pretty scary, he says, church, to the church in Corinth, he says, there's stuff happening amongst you that even pagans would be ashamed about. He said, I have gotten word, church, that a man has taken his own father's wife, Come on now. How crazy is that? 
And he's talking to believers here. He's talking to the church in Corinth. You see, this is somehow what inevitably happens when we are just used to supping on baby food through these little baby bottles when we haven't challenged ourselves enough and grown accustomed to eat a little harder, more complex foods and meat. She says, I wanted to give you more, but I simply could not give you more. You see, this is what happens when we just skip over scriptures that we do not understand. Our spiritual muscles simply do not become accustomed to understanding scripture in a deeper way. Okay, so that's the first fatal flaw of a church-going Christian. What is a church? That we skip over scriptures that we do not understand. But there's a second one, which is also really important. Here it is. We believe that most scriptures are not about us. Turn with me in your Bibles. A little more to the left. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And listen now to the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. He says, giving some context here, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. And all of a sudden he tells a story of these two men walking into the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee. And he, I imagine him, you know, he stands up, the Bible tells us, and I imagine him opening up his arms, says, oh God, thank you that I'm not like these men. Oh, so grateful. God, I'm not a robber. I'm not an evildoer. And I don't commit adultery. Or even, can we go a little lower in sin? The Pharisee is here thinking. Or even, I'm not even like this tax collector. I mean, he's saying the the top sins in society, as it were, and then to throw out the last one, the worst one of all, he says, I'm not even like this tax collector. Now, for you to understand the sentiment behind that, you have to understand a little bit about first century Rome and what it was like under Roman occupation. You see, Rome would always choose contextual tax collectors, wouldn't they? And so to collect tax from the Jewish people, they would use Jewish tax collectors. And so any Jewish tax collector was considered kind of a vile, treasonous kind of creature, in fact. He was seen as a turncoat, as a traitor to his kind and culture. The worst kind of being that could exist just about was a tax collector. He says, God... Thank you, hallelujah. I don't commit these sins, and I'm not even, thank you, God, like this tax collector. But I want to suggest to you this morning that church-going folk are sometimes like this Pharisee, aren't we? You see, sometimes, fairly often enough, we, we just skip over scriptures because we assume that they really have nothing to do with us because we're just thinking about these really obvious sins out there, don't we? 
Because church-going folk, we don't sin in really obvious ways. We're way too emotionally intelligent for that. Those base sins, come on. Those are for the unsophisticated plebs. In fact, church folk are so sophisticated in their sinning and so subtle in their sinning that they don't even know they're sinning themselves. They've rationalized it within their own heart. It's not actually a sin. It's not any of those big sins. And I'm okay, actually. You see, it's when you're at the meeting and you're sarcastic enough with someone to injure them, but not overtly sarcastic enough to draw attention to yourself. We're subtle. We're slick with our sins. It's when we're at that church gathering and gossiping perhaps happens to be our sin of choice. And in order to, and so we couch our gossip under the veil of prayerful concern. And we say, oh, did you hear what happened to brother Paul? We need to pray for him. To know what happened to brother Paul, you didn't hear? Oh, well, let me tell you the whole story. You see, last week, dot, dot, dot. Or to Sister Mary or to Sister Jennifer. I'm going to tell you everything that happened to them. And let me just give a little caveat here. I lived in the South for a long time. I went to school in the South in Tennessee. I love the South. Full disclosure, I love the South. But there's kind of a saying in the South, isn't there? That you can pretty much say whatever you want about someone as long as you finish it off with those three magical words. Say it with me now. Bless their heart. Kind of gives you permission to just say whatever. We really need to pray for Brother Paul or Brother, you know, Brother Mark or Sister Jennifer because this is all the things that are happening in their life. These are all the things that are going on. And so once we go through that whole huge session, we say, okay, so now let's, you know, okay, let's just, let's just pray for them real quick to sanctify what we've just been doing. Or maybe you're highly judgmental against people that have had some kind of public fall as a result of some kind of public sin. And yet you've got a hard drive full of trash and a closet full of whiskey. You see, this is how we do sometimes. This is how church folk operate sometimes. We say, oh, I'm, he- I'm seeing this scripture about murder, but thank you, God, that I don't commit those sins. And yet we don't acknowledge all these other sins which are equally repulsive to God that we do do, but yet in very sly, very subtle ways. Nobody else knows about it. Less of all, I try to convince myself I don't even know about it. I'm telling you, these are fatal flaws, which if left unchecked, they will slowly and insidiously produce a fatal blow in the life of a Christian. Okay, so here's the question. What are we to do? What are we to do? Well, we have two fatal flaws. I want to share with you two antidotes. All right? So the first fatal flaw, of course, is we skip over scriptures that we do not understand. So here's the first antidote that I want to challenge you with. And it's this. Determine 
to receive the whole counsel of God. Determined to receive the whole counsel of God. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, verse 27. Acts chapter 20, verse 27. And notice what the Apostle Paul again here says. He says, For I have not shunned to declare to you how much of the counsel of God. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He goes on to say that he was with them for three years. And for that three-year period, he says, look, I taught you from cover to cover that existed at the time, of course. I taught you the whole story. I didn't hold anything back. I didn't try to just, you know, smooth over the difficult parts. I taught you everything about the story of God. And there's a reason why understanding and receiving the whole counsel of God is so important. And he gets into that in that chapter. He says, because soon, look, just take my word for it. He says, soon wolves, these spiritual wolves are going to come into the midst and they're going to try to divide the flock. He says, soon false prophets are going to try to come into the midst and try to divide the flock and try to confuse people. So if you have not been receiving the whole counsel of God, if you have just been trying to say, Mm, Okay, I'm going to deal with that one next time. We're not going to be ready. We're not going to be able to stand. We're going to be turning tail and running when those ravenous spiritual wolves come to us. Simply put, that's what we're going to be doing. So the first fatal flaw is we skip over scriptures that we don't understand. And the first antidote is determined to receive the whole counsel of God. You see, to receive the whole counsel of God means that I don't just fast forward to the warm, fuzzy parts of scripture. When I receive the whole counsel of God, it means that like Jacob wrestling all night long with the angel of the Lord, I say, God, I'm seeing the scripture here. And I believe that you are revealing something to me in this scripture. I don't quite get what it is yet, but I'm going to wrestle here and I'm going to camp here and I will not let it go until you bless me, period. Just like Jacob. He says, no, let me go. No, I will not let you go until you bless me because you know and believe that there's a blessing in store for you in that scripture. I want to share a counsel for you that is very helpful for me to understand anyway. It's from the book Education. Check this out. The study of the Bible demands our most diligent effort and persevering thought. As the miner digs for the golden treasure of the earth, so earnestly, persistently must we seek for the treasure of God's word. Did you catch that? Now, you tell me, is gold most often found on the surface? I mean, hey, sometimes you might get lucky and there's a couple gold nuggets hanging around. But if you want to get the good stuff, you've got to get to that deep vein that is buried there within the mountain. He says, then that only comes about, Helen White says, as a result of 
a sense of earnestness and being persistent and saying, boys, girls, it's time to dig. Here we go. That was one of the failures of that Corinthian church, wasn't it? Is that apparently they said, look, we don't really want to spend our time digging and going deeper. And so the apostle Paul said, that's why I need to give you this baby food. And by the way, let me ask you this question. How long can an adult survive on baby food? What do you think? How long? Not too long, right? I mean, what happens if myself as an adult... I say, I'm going to see what this is like to survive off of four little bottles of baby food per day. What will inevitably and slowly happen to me? I'll begin to lose weight. I'll become physically weaker. And then any little innocuous germ out there or cold out there will get into my system. And because I have not been nourishing myself well, I will go down. See, that's what the Apostle Paul was trying to teach the church, and that was the result of what happened in the church in Corinth. They had not been used to digging for that gold. All right, well, let's just make a confession real quick. An acknowledgement is that some people know how to dig for the gold, but they just don't want to put in the work. Right? Thank God, I don't know. It's, it's buried pretty deeply in there. I don't know if I want to go through all that. But some other church folk now, let's be fair, and I want to be fair to you. Some other church folk are saying, well, wait a second. I want to get to the gold. I just don't really know how to do that work. I don't know how to get it. All right. That's fair. Let me share with you some more counsel. Is that okay? All right. Also from the book Education. In daily study... The verse-by-verse method is often most helpful. Let the student take one verse and concentrate the mind on ascertaining the thought that God has put into that verse for him, and thus dwell upon the thought until it becomes his own. One passage thus studied until its significance is clear is of more value than the perusal of many chapters with no definite purpose in view and no positive instruction gained. Did you catch that? So again, now she's saying for most people, it would be good for you to actually slow down in some ways. Just kind of park. I think that's what the, the psalmist probably talked about when he talked about the word dwell. When God says he who dwells by the secret place of the almighty learning to slow down. I'm going to camp a little bit by God's presence. I'm not going to keep going. I'm going to camp there for a little bit. I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to slow down. One scripture. I'm not, I'm not going to worry about reading the 10 chapters today. God, if you, bring, if you bring a certain word to me, a certain challenging portion of scripture to me today, God, I'm going to slow down and I'm going to park myself there. So problem number one, we, we skip scriptures that we don't understand. Antidote for that, we we receive the whole counsel of God. Problem number two, you assume that most scriptures don't apply to you. And here's antidote number two. Seek to apply all of scripture to your life through the Holy Spirit. All right, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says, this is from the New Living Translation, by the way. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful. And we could stop right there and say amen. amen. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful. Some translations say profitable. It means it's good. You can use it for stuff. <laughs> but then it continues. And is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It caress, corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. How many say amen to that? <laughs> I mean, is this, what do you think, Why is this, is this really true? All of scripture? The whole thing? Come on. What about the book of Numbers? Is that one useful as well? Come on, help me out, church. The book of Proverbs. <laughs> yes, thank you, church. Come on. Come on, I'm going to give you a really hard one now, a really challenging one now. The book of Leviticus. I know you've, you've skipped that one before. The book of Leviticus. Come on. Yes, amen. When we get to those passages in Scripture where they talk about Murder. Is there something from there that I can apply to my own life, even if I have not physically murdered someone? Yes, because the truth is, even though I have not physically done the act, oh, I have certainly done it in my heart, haven't I? Even though I have not physically robbed someone, oh, but I have coveted what they have. We've all done those sins in our heart. So that's the antidote. When we seek to apply all scriptures to our life, we say, you know what? Even in this passage of scripture, God, you're trying to teach me something. I believe you have a word for me in this. You say, God, how have I been murdering people around me? Oh God, how have I been robbing people around me. I'm not taking things from them, but yet in some ways I am. Teach me, God, through your spirit to apply this to my life. All right, one final question I want to ask you. How are you feeling right now? How are you feeling? What, what is it that you are desiring and you have been asking of God? Have you been feeling a little bit lost? Some of you are saying, oh God, I would love for you to give me a sense of your direction. I don't quite know which way to go. I don't quite know which decision to make. Some of you are feeling a little bit lost perhaps. Well, I wonder if some of you are feeling a little bit lonely as well. Maybe because you wish you were in a relationship and you're not in a relationship. Or maybe because you're missing someone that used to be around you, but they're no longer around you. You used to have that companionship, but you no longer have that. Maybe you're a little bit lonely. Or maybe for some of you, you've begun to realize the limits of your own strength as you continually falter and fall on your face in temptation. I've got good news for you. If that's you, I've got some really good news for you. Listen up. Jesus can meet those needs 
And Jesus is found within this book. Jesus is found from cover to cover in every single book of the Bible, in every single verse of the Bible, of every single book. You can find him cover to cover. And when we come to Jesus, we can, we can encounter him through the scripture when we say, God, you know what I'm going through right now. You know that I'm feeling this loneliness. You know that I'm feeling this, I'm feeling this lostness. I need your direction. God, please, I need you to speak to me. And when we do that, guess what, what happens? When we pray that honest prayer and we ask for God's spirit to guide us, guess what happens? Jesus can meet us there. How many say amen? amen. I want to invite you to pull out your connect card, please. Pastor Jose referenced it in the beginning. Hopefully you filled out the front of the card. But I want to invite you to turn to the back of the card for just a moment. Now, every single week here at Pioneer, I mean, we believe that, that there's some decision that everybody can make. Whether you're a first-time guest or a regular tender or a long-time member, we believe there's some kind of next step that God is calling you to make today, right now. So turn to the bottom here, and I want to walk you through a few of these next steps. At the bottom, the first one is this. I want to commit to receiving the whole counsel of God. Maybe you've been skipping around a lot. Maybe you have not been receiving the full counsel of God, but maybe today you want to say, you know what, by God's grace and through his power, I'm going to slow down and I want to receive the whole counsel of God. If that's you, just check that off. The second one, I want to begin a Bible reading plan. You know, we would like to send you some resources, actually, and I'm opening up my Bible here because I put some notes here about some resources that we want to send you. So the second one and the third one there, please note out your connect card. I want to begin a Bible reading plan. If you want to make that decision today, check it off. But thirdly, I want to receive resources for studying the Bible because you're saying, look, I want to. I'm just not quite sure how to approach the scripture, but we want to send you some different resources. Here's what we want to send you. If you check off any of those two, we're going to send you a document with a list of Bible reading plans, right? We want to send you some quotes related to how to study the Bible. We want to send you some app recommendations for scripture memorization. But here's the thing. If we don't have your email address, we cannot send it to you. All right? So please put your name and your email address on there, and we want to send you, we want to bless you with these resources. And of course, look, bottom line, if you've never made a decision for baptism, maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you're a regular tender, you've never, maybe you're a student, you've been here at Andrews in your experience for a while now, you've never made a decision for baptism, do it right now. Don't wait any longer. Trust me, do it right now. Or maybe you want to receive more information about beginning a relationship with Jesus. Whatever God is calling you to do right now, I want to pray for you regarding that decision. Okay? So let's bow our heads as we pray. Father, I want to pray for all those that are making decisions and that have made decisions right now. I mean, some people are making decisions for baptism or they want to study the Bible or they're saying, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Some people are saying, look, I want to read the Bible. I'm not going to 
run anymore from these more difficult portions of Scripture. I want to see what you have in store for me there. And so now, Father, please bless every decision that is being made, that has been made, and just grant them the boldness now to follow through with it. Be with them in a special way. And Father, we also pray that you would be with the tithes and offerings that are going to be received in just a few moments from now. Multiply them, for we do ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.